Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button on our homepage. Okay, here's today's podcast. Right. Let's get into the Word. Jesus in the Old Testament. What was concealed is now revealed. So all the stories we've been telling you about, the, the symbols of the temple are revealed in Jesus Christ. It's not like Jesus just showed up. He has been the one who was and is and is to come. Okay? So... When we talked about this last Sunday, the, t- the torn veil, we were re- representing that Jesus in his death is the body. The body is now the veil that is torn apart, opening up, that God is not encased in a dark room. The Holy of Holies, as special as it was, was set apart from everybody. The court of Gentiles, the court of women, the righteous, the priests, and only the high priests that could go in once a year to the Holy of Holies, that vent tail, that that. Uh, veil is torn in two and God comes out. How great is that? So when God comes out, it's also intimidating because that means that God is supposed to be everywhere with us. That Jesus doesn't want just one hour on Sunday mornings and then you can go do whatever you want. You came into the Holy of Holies, now you can do whatever. Jesus is everywhere. He's in us, he's through us, he's around us. And especially in today's difficult times, that's kind of good to remember. Okay? Well, today, we're going to transition how Jesus is also in the Old Testament in the person and today of the suffering servant. So let's start real simple. Uh, Everybody loves what's in the box. And in the box are ways in which we serve others, okay? Now I want you to follow this. There are a lot of ways in which we serve others. Sometimes it requires power drills. I love power drills. So if you ever need help, you can ask somebody. This is a way that I serve others a lot. A month or two ago, this would have been worth a lot of money. But here's the service I offer. I actually put the toilet paper on the roll. I know it's crazy. I know some of you decide that you will use the last of the ply of toilet paper, and then you will let the next person sitting four feet from wherever it is have to figure it out, right? Well, some of us offer that service. Oh, I do this to serve others really well, too. I have extra cables. And I have extra cables for my phone and my iPad because they get stolen. And don't acknowledge that it's anything other than stolen because it's not borrowed. It's never put back. So if it's not put back, that is stolen. Okay. But I do that as a service to others. I offer cables. Okay. Um, I love this one. This one's to serve others. Right. You know, sometimes people disconnect what actually reading the Word is all about. Reading the Word is to live better, live your life better, not just for Jesus, but for others. So the best way you can serve others is live according to this wonderful book. Ooh. Other ways we serve others, I have some wonderful illustrations. How many of you are like the cooker person? You're so good at hospitality, right? These people serve others a lot. Right, our doctors and nurses and caregivers. And again, I always think it's, it really is true. It's been challenging even just for the protocols. Ooh, firefighters, they show up to get your cat out of the tree. And other things, I had to bring this one out. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody needs mentors. 
Sometimes you serve because you're willing to help others, and he doesn't stand up right, so. I hope the force is with you. And this is just a professional lady. She's on her phone. And I think sometimes we forget that when you go to work, you serve your family. You also serve that place of business to do better business, to do the commerce that allows us to have the things that we have, right? So we have all these things. Um, I'm not going to put these on, but how many of you do the toilet bowl cleaning? Okay. I have to admit, if you do that, you are one of the greatest servants in the world today. You have to do us dirty. This one's one of my favorites, too. This represents when you give yourself to somebody to just let them cry, right? How many times have you just needed to be there for somebody who's really hurting? You know, the thing about serving others is we can do it one of two ways. We can either be selfish about it or we can be selfless about it. And this is what's really important. If we go into Isaiah 53 and we talk about the suffering servant, it follows a paradigm. It follows this pattern. And the pattern goes like this. Life is suffering. Suffering is life. Life will end in death. But death in its selflessness gives life. Okay? So follow me for a second. If you're selfish then you're going to try to do what's best for your life at the expense of somebody else and you're going to make them suffer to do something more, to make something harder. We all serve other people, but an adult can't ask their toddler, well, I don't know how to get this figured out for you. You're old enough. Do your laundry, make your food, make your bed, figure it out. Go get a job. Okay? I'm true to life. I've asked that question for years. Why did God make it so that children do not grow up and get out of the house until they're like 20 years old? Seriously. I mean, a, a baby bird is born and eventually the mother goes, let's see. Boom. Bird flies, bird lives. Bird doesn't fly. Mom's like, I, I warned you. Horses, they just get birthed and they start galloping. They just go like, oh, wobbly legs. But all of a sudden, there they go. No, human beings, it's like, okay, when can you get a job? Someday. We do that and serve for the sake of that relationship. We know that they need something that we can offer. But the question is, sometimes we are martyrs about it. Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves when we serve others. Sometimes we, we feel like it's a, I'm giving so that I can get something back, right? I'm going to do this today, and then I'm hoping something is going to come back for me. That's the question of the motivation. What we're going to highlight this morning is that when you really serve others like Jesus, it is like the suffering servant who has a paradoxical relationship with us that goes like this. I will sacrifice myself with the hope that something better will come along because you trust me, you invest in me, and you get what I'm giving you. It will cost me greatly, but it is for you. Or you can be selfish and you can decide that in serving others, it's for an immediate return on that investment, right? I'm just doing this so I can get something more from you. In a matter of commerce, capitalism has always looked as a bad thing, but it can be in this way. I'm going to sell you something because I need money from you, and what I sold you is junk. I don't care that it's junk. I don't need to convince you of it a, a second time. I just need the first time. And we all bought something that we found out wasn't what it was supposed to be, and we can't get our money back. On the front end, the person who's doing that gets the money. That's what they wanted. It was for selfish gain. On the back end, they lose customers. 
So that's why no business can really stay in business if they're selfish in what they're doing. That is simply to take advantage of people in order to make profit. The opposite is true. I've got to make sure that what I offer you, whatever products or services, is more valuable to you than the money you're giving me because while I do that, you're going to come back time and again. No different than in relationships. Our children, our marriages, some of you are really going to have to reflect on how much when you serve, you do it with the end in mind. So let's explain this in The Suffering Servant, okay? Isaiah chapter 53 has this great, this, this beginning and, and end and how it's a, a symmetrical chapter. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Now here's the life. Eternal life becomes human life. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence. Divine. This is verse 2. Grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. So now it's human. The divine has become a human like a root in dry ground. That is not just coincidence. A root in dry ground meaning that the root still grew up green amidst a mired lineage. If you go through Jesus' lineage in Matthew 1, it's not a pretty sight. There are not perfect people all the way to the time of Jesus. It's pretty messed up. And Jesus allowed himself to become human, though nothing was beautiful or majestic about his appearance, Right? Right? What, what good comes from Galilee? Nothing to attract us to him. He's just as common as anybody else. Not only that, he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows because he is now human and he gets what human life is about. Everybody say, life is suffering. Come on, life is suffering. The moment you were born is the moment you realized you were going to suffer. The first day of your life was the beginning of of your path towards death and everything therein. How many of you know young people who complain about the fact that they got hurt on an injury or something? Oh, I can't run like I used to. I can't do what I used to. And then you get older and you're like, shut it. You have no idea what hurts. You have no idea what hurts feels like. You know, Brett, God love him, is like, you know, he's my senior. He's a little bit older than me. So I always look to the foreshadowing of life and I go, what is it like for you now? It's miserable. Thank you. I can't wait to be 10 years older than I am now. I have no idea what, what future is going to look like, but I can tell you from my younger self, whatever I complained about was not anything to complain about. It just gets harder. Jesus offered the same thing coming into this suffering world. The moment he was born is the moment he was going to then live a human life and suffer and hurt. How many of you have got scars? When I was five years old, my sister and I were playing the zoo and we're out in the garage and she, I said, I'm a lion. Roar! And she goes, I'm a zookeeper. And she took my dad's cutting knife, you know, and she goes, I'm the zookeeper. Poof! And she stuck me right in the arm. Boom! I still have the scar to this day. It doesn't go away. I got scars under my chin because when you fall and you bust it open, I got a scar on my wrist. I got scars everywhere. And they don't go away. They're reminding us all the time that the older you get, the more things that are likely to happen. You're not going to get through life without suffering. But here, this is why it's important. But suffering is living. Suffering is life. Let me continue with Isaiah 53. Yet it was out of our weakness that he carried us. It was the sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment on him from his own sins, but that wasn't the case. It was him being pierced for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so he could be healed. 
everything Jesus did wasn't just to be a suffering servant. It wasn't just to suffer. It was to suffer to serve. Let me say it a different way. How many times have you guys done something like this? I've got to get the garbage out. I've got to know he takes it out. I'm the only person who ever takes the garbage out. How, how full does the garbage have to get for somebody to decide to take it out? <laughs> right? We have a thing in our house now. I pour money down the drain. Does anybody else pour money down the drain? I do it all the time. I take cans of soda. They're just two little bit of drinks out of it, and they're warm, and they've been there for a day, and I thought maybe somebody would drink it because who would open a can of soda and not drink it? And then I just pour it into the drain, and I tell the family, I'm pouring money down the drain. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just pour money down the drain. It's just me. I've got six or seven cans sitting there, and I'm pouring money down, and then I put them in the garbage. And I'm the only person who'll take the garbage out. Or... Actually, before I introduce this, let me tell you another thing that's really annoying. Anybody have kids that love to play with Legos? Ever tried to go get coffee in bare feet when people play with Legos? And nobody picks them up. Nobody ever picks them up. So my service to my family is I'm going to vacuum those Legos up. The problem is they don't work in a vacuum. So I have to bend over. Anybody else getting early osteoporosis? I can just come down there and pick all these up because nobody cares what I do. Nobody cares about my time. Nobody thinks that it's important for me to do other things besides pick up after them. I, I'm waiting for a preacher, brother. How about laundry? This is actually my laundry. I did my laundry. It's not dirty laundry, okay? I just still have to fold it. But here's what I found out. You know what I've learned? Stuff ends up in my laundry basket. And this is the honest truth. And she's here, so now she's going to know where I, why I put it where I put it. Stuff that wasn't mine was going into my laundry basket. Is that not the cheatingest, worst thing ever? What's the bird that lays eggs in another bird's nest so that the other bird will raise their baby young birds? There's actually a bird that does that. That's in my house. Because they put laundry in my dirty laundry basket, and when I do laundry, I'm like, whose shirt is this? This is not my shirt. I pull out a little Remy shirt. I'm like, I have never worn this shirt in my life. And yet it's in my laundry. It's like, he will do the laundry if you put it in his basket, and that is true. And then I do the laundry, and I fold the laundry, and I go to all the different rooms of where all the laundry is supposed to go. And the only thing that I'm ever missing in my laundry are my socks. Because apparently I have a sock ministry. And they get borrowed often, and they never get put back. And so you fold the laundry, and you do the laundry, and you vacuum, and you pick up the Legos, and you take out the garbage, and how many of you have done it? And you suffer. Listen to me. That's the martyr. The martyr who does things without joy is doing them like a patron-client relationship. I'm doing this for you, and you're taking advantage of me, and I'm going to feel sorry for myself. Whether you think this is true or not, that is a selfish way to approach it. Because the selfish way is to say, I don't want to do for them. I want them to do for themselves. Here's the selfless way. This is why suffering is living. Anybody ever done laundry and you pulled out that soccer shirt? The JFL jersey? I mean, I'm in tears as I pull out one of Remy's shirt. My daughter used to wear one like this too. She grew up. But now she steals my socks. If you, suffering is, listen, life is suffering. 
but in suffering you live because everything you do to serve others reminds you what you do together. Every time I pour out those cans, yes, I wish we wouldn't be wasteful, but the garbage being full means that the house has been lived in. The laundry that I do means the life that we share. The things that I have to pick up or vacuum is a service in a sense that is not about suffering but about life. That's why I commend my wife who does this better than any of us. It does not matter what's on the floor. If you came in and wanted to talk to her, I will continue to pick up the Legos and probably not listen to half of the things you say. I'll listen as soon as the Legos are picked up. But she will sit and be with you. She will love you. And I think sometimes we do things as if it is divide and conquer rather than life together. Does that make sense? Now I hope Hope some of you, now that you go and do some things and you do it for your family, you don't grumble about it, you catch yourself and you go, you know what? Lord, I'm thankful that I have laundry to do. That's not just mine. It means people are also living with me in this wonderful house. When I clean up, I'm annoyed about it, but at the end, I'm thankful that they want to be here and they feel safe in this space to play and do what they can. But I'll also tell you that even as life is suffering and suffering is life, life still ends in death. Even the suffering servant knew this. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. Now think about that. How many of us, when we do things for people, we want to make that known? Well, I did your laundry. Well, I'm the one that cleaned up after dinner. Well, I'm the one that put those things away. I got to make a very clear point that I'm the martyr. I suffered for you. And Jesus, a sheep is silent before the shears. Listen to what happens. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. Catch the phrase. He died without descendants. Jesus was celibate. His life was ministry. His life was for the kingdom. But when he died, the lineage that started in Matthew chapter 1 is over. It's done. There is no follow-up to Jesus. There are no descendants of Jesus. He's shamed at the cross, not simply because he's dying a criminal's death, but because he has no descendants to carry on who he was. His life was cut short, struck down for the rebellion of his people. He did no wrong, never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. And in that death, we could look at it and say, why would he suffer? Understand why he suffered, because even though life ends in death, death, when served and given selflessly, gives life abundantly. Watch what it says. Verse 10, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. In death, it was assumed he had no descendants. In life, in believing what he was doing for the benefit of the kingdom and for the opportunity for all of us to have everlasting life. He now is the firstborn of the dead and we are the descendants. That had how, how many times do you do things for somebody? I have people when I help them out and I give some financial assistance. And I go, here's my wallet. Most of you would probably know I don't make a big to-do about it. But I tithe and I give beyond the tithe. And we do community. And we offer as much as we can to those in need when we can. It is not a surprise when people come into the house. My wallet is empty because somebody stole it. I know they didn't steal it. They just go and they need some money. And we need gas money. We do different things. 
when I've helped people in the church and we've given some gas assistance, financial assistance, the, the question that usually comes up is, do I have to pay this back? We have started a program with the Nokomis Christian Mission to pay it forward. We go, come volunteer a few hours and, and just help us help others. But here's the really cool part. I love to tell people, I'm not giving this to you. I'm making an investment. How many of you, when you do your kids' laundry, when you clean up after them, when they're really young, by the way, when they're 13, they ought to be able to do their own laundry? Let's get that out there, okay? Some of you are like five. When they're five, they can do their own laundry. Reach over, push the button, start. They can figure it out. <laughs> the question is, under 13, is that child labor? Does that... 10, we hear 10. 10 is the new number. <laughs> We're still stuck on the, I should be joyful in doing this. It's a service, not a sacrifice. My point is, is that when you do it for people, you're doing it as an investment. When I help with my kids, I believe in what the future will hold. When I help somebody in, in their hour of need, I believe they'll pay it forward. If not, the Nokomis Christian Missions, they'll do it somewhere else. It is always an investment. When Jesus died, he didn't die thinking about his suffering. He died with the hope of our salvation. He was looking forward to the many descendants. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, listen to what Isaiah says, he will be satisfied. Catch that. Are you satisfied when you serve others? Does it satisfy you? Because if you need something in return, remember, you got some selfishness going on. When you got to have something from them, so they acknowledge, they notice, they pay it back. Or in the service, are you satisfied? That is why when I talk about the suffering servant, it's not about suffering, it's about serving. And the best way to present that today is servant leadership. A parent modeling it for a child, a husband modeling it for a spouse, a wife modeling it for a husband. A co-worker modeling it for her co-workers, for the people that you work with. Servant leadership. When Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told his disciples, go and do likewise. Go take up your cross. Not because you want to suffer and die, but because in sacrificing yourself for others, you are serving them. And when you serve them, you have this faith of what the return on investment might present, that they will grow in love with you too. Craig Linville, the founder of CEO, and now what started when we started with the program five years ago was eight or 12 programs. It's now 51 programs. It's going gangbusters all over the nation. The one who started it has the statement that all facilitators will quote often, who will be better today because of what I do? Who will be better because of what I do today? Who, what will I do today that will allow other people to be better? That's servant leadership. And it really just as simple as loving others. So I want you to know how to love others, okay? It's a real simple acronym. You can play it out. But to love others, you have to listen well. Sorry, I just stepped on a Lego and it actually hurt through my foot, through my shoe. How many of you will give up some time to listen to somebody? Think about what's going on in the world today. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's arguing. Everybody's on polarized sides. And everybody has something to say. And the question I keep asking is, when is somebody just going to listen? I watch the videos, and I see a conservative. I see a liberal. I see them going up to the opposite side, and they don't listen. 
Usually it's going up to get you the gotcha, right? We all love the gotcha. We all love the video that shows what we agree with and shaming the other side. And I'm waiting to see how many videos come out where they go up and they go, let's do coffee. Let's just talk. Usually even the talking heads, they're both talking at the same time. Can you imagine what happens if you listen well? If you truly want to sacrifice, if you want to not suffer but serve, listen. Put stuff down and listen. Ask your kids about their day. Don't be ready with a litany of concerns. Stop. Listen. The other one that you can do is you can offer to help. Isn't it amazing how powerful it is when you just stop what you're doing and give some time to others? That's what I love about my friends. That's what I love about many of you. I love the opportunity to say, I'll come over and help. Because it is reciprocated. It is not in a ledger. It is just simply, well, what can I do? How can I help? If you watch the show New Amsterdam, it's a great line. I've lived it since I heard it the first show. How can I help? That's what he asks. His line every time he runs into whomever in the hospital, how can I help? Try that. See how offering to help others is a game changer. And not only that, but you want to value people's humanity. To value humanity is to understand that people are sinners and they make mistakes. When Jesus offered communion, he didn't say, I'm going to die if you guys don't figure it out. He just said, I'm going to die for you. Because I have lived this human life, and you are in this human life. And life is suffering. Suffering is a part of life, and life leads to death. And I get that. Value people for the humanity. We have seen people just vilified because they have a different opinion. And even if there's a wrong opinion, listen to me, church. When it's a wrong opinion, do you hear somebody who's against you, or do you hear somebody who's hurting? So often, I don't need to argue with my TV. I don't need to scream back into my phone. I see somebody who is hurting. They're just coming up with the best answers for the fear that they're living right now. That's it. So when you think, I can't believe they think that way. Well, sure you can, because people will think a certain way. That without Jesus, it is really hard, isn't it? But that's just a lot of people trying to figure it out in the dark. And then lastly, if you listen well and you offer to help and you value people's humanity, you will also expect honesty. You don't serve so you can enable people. You don't keep things just going under the rug. Jesus at the Last Supper told Judas, go do what you must do called him out on it. He told Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. It is okay to look at somebody you love and tell them where you disagree. If you have listened well and you have offered to help and you've lived in their world, you've valued their humanity, trust me, that's the moment you can speak into their life. And that is when serving others is joyful and hopeful. It's not suffering, it's serving. So I would ask that you would consider how you can love others this week too. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.